Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of Relationship Radio. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing itstartswithattraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to itstartswithattraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. The Joe Beam Show. I actually love talking about things that help people make their relationships better. Tonight, I'm going to be talking about something that unfortunately has led to a lot of difficulty with a lot of marriages. When I talk about the process of how people fall in love, I typically talk about the thing called the love path. I'm not going to be talking about the love path per se tonight, but the love path is the process through people through which people go when they fall in love. Not necessarily a part of that process is another thing that happens. It's a kind of love. It really is, but it's a relatively short-lived love. Relatively short-lived in the sense that, according to the research of Helen Fisher, Ph.D., and some of her colleagues, it'll last somewhere between three months and 36 months. And that's the thing that has been coined, well, actually been termed by a phrase coined by Dr. Dorothy Tinoff back in the 1970s. She calls it limerence, L-I-M-E-R-E-N-C-E. I have written a great deal about limerence in my books, such as The Art of Falling in Love, in many articles that you can find on www.marriagehelper.com. Dot com, and in many other places as well. I've done many podcasts on it and, and talked about it on not just this program, but on regular broadcast radio and et cetera. Limerence is a kind of love, but it's not necessarily the kind of love that every person goes through when he or she falls into a relationship with another person. Therefore, when I talk about the love path, I don't call limerence a part of the love path. As a matter of fact, graphically, we represent it as a storm above the path. Like I said, some people go through it, some people don't. You may have gone through it when you fell in love with the person that you're married to now, if you're married, or the person that you're dating now, if you're dating. Or it may be that you went through it with the person that you no longer are with, but at some point you did. On the other hand, you have may have actually gotten into a marriage or a long-term relationship without ever having gone through it at all. So what is this thing called limerence? What does it do? How does it act? Well, Fisher talks about it as being something that draws two people together. As a matter of fact, sometimes she refers to it with the word lust rather than limerence. I don't do that because in my vernacular, lust eh, talks about something more than what limerence is, or I shouldn't say more. Actually, limerence is the greater of the two in terms of what all it encompasses. But lust refers to something more specific in the way that I talk about things. And so eh, we won't be talking about lust in the sense that Fisher does. We'll call it limerence. What does it do? It's this thing that happens between two people that pulls them together. Now, it's intense. And I'll say again, it is a type of love, but it's not going to be a long-lived type of love. Back in the 1970s, Dr. Fisher wrote the first book about it, Limerence and Love, or I think actually the title is Love and Limerence. I have the book. I've been reading through it again recently. And in that book, she talked about it as being potentially lasting a lifetime. Yet, as I just said, the research since then has pretty well indicated that that just does not happen. Why? Well, limerence is this thing that occurs between two people when they start to develop a relationship. It typically does not happen instantaneously. Now, sometimes people talk about things such as love at first light. <laughs> I'm sorry, love at first sight. And, and that kind of love actually exists as well. We call that one infatuation. 
and it has a lot to do with chemistry. You see a person, and for whatever reason, chemicals are set up in your brain that attract you to that person instantaneously. Now, there is such a thing as infatuation, and, and uh, Dr. Robert Sternberg writes about that in some of his research when he talks about the triangulation or the triangular model of love. But I think it's much more than just infatuation. It's something that's going to be deeper than that, although it does involve some of the same kind of emotions. Yet infatuation can happen instantly. You see a person, and for whatever reason, they trigger the right things in you by what you see or what you hear, who they remind you of a number of different things we don't have time to discuss. And when you do have that reaction and fall madly and immediately in love with them in that infatuation, it wears off pretty quickly if you don't replace it with something else. The limerence that we run into, and when I say we, I'm talking about the people who work with me in the nonprofit organization, Marriage Helper. We are a 501c3 nonprofit in the USA, operating primarily in the state of Tennessee. That's where our headquarters are, although we work all over America and helping people. As a matter of fact, we have people taking our online courses and some people calling into this program who call from all over the world. And so as we have had experience, and to date, more than 200,000 people have been through courses and workshops and seminars that I have written. I have not met all of those people, obviously. Some of those people have gone through my courses that were led by other people, programs that I developed and handed off to others. But I have met thousands. And of the thousands of couples that I've actually gotten to know, at least in some fashion, a percentage of those have been people who were married to one, but who were in limerence with another. Now, understand that a great deal of my work for the last several years has been primarily with marriages in crisis. Didn't start off that way. Started off working with marriages in general and helping people have better marriages. In the course of that, kept running into so many marital difficulties that finally we started working uh, a lot with marriages in crisis. Now, I don't do counseling or therapy. That's not my training. My PhD from the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Sydney was basically studying about sex and how sex affects marriage and marital relationships and marital satisfaction. But our concentration and the people that we actually deal with, the people that we interact, we listen to their stories, we, we hear a lot and finally understand a lot, not just from their experiences, but also in what we have learned from reading countless. And when I say countless, it almost is countless. I have read thousands and thousands of scholarly articles published in reputable scholarly journals. Let me just put a quick parenthetical there. Just because a journal exists doesn't mean it's reputable. And the fact that it contains allegedly scholarly articles doesn't mean they're scholarly at all. As a matter of fact, <laughs> quite often, People will get one of those things to print something for which they have an agenda, and then they contact the news media with a press release, and the news media doesn't seem to sometime do the research to find out that, wait a minute, that's not a reputable journey, a journal, and that's not necessarily good research. And yet, it sounds so fascinating. The next thing you know, it's being reported on the radio and television and newspapers, and people go, wow, that's amazing. If you really understand what a scholarly journal is, it's done in a way where that peer reviewed takes place. That means if you do the research and publish it, other people in your field can actually read it and analyze it. And sometimes they will actually negate it, showing you, no, that's not valid. That doesn't work. And that's after you get to the editorial committee to actually get the article in the scholarly journal. Now I have literally read then 
thousands and thousands of scholarly articles in reputable journals, in addition to working with thousands of couples, and of course, in the process, learning and earning a doctorate degree, a PhD from the University of Sydney, which is consistently rated one of the top 50 universities in the world. Therefore, what I'm about to talk about is something I do actually know something about. Now, that does not make me the world's leading expert. <laughs> I still have things to learn just everybody else. But, but know enough about it that I think I can explain it where it makes sense to you. I hope I can. And as you have questions that you would like to ask about it, to answer those questions as best I can. Now, if you wish to call in to ask a question, you dial 646-378-0424. That's 646-378-0424. Now, for our international listeners, of course, you want to preface that with the one so that you come to America. And that's a number in the United States of America, 646-378-0424. Now, a lot of people call that number just to listen. And that's fine if you wish to do that. Other people are listening on their computers. If you call that number and wish to speak to me, you will hear a little menu when it first answers. And if you press the number one, it will let me know that you wish to speak to me. It will signal me. And in a few minutes, when I get to that point, I'll actually start taking callers who press that number one and say, hey, I'm here. Love to talk to you. Love to hear your question. So the telephone number again is 646-378-0424. I'll say it slower. 646-378-0424. And press the number one, and I'll know you're there. Okay. Now, what is limerence? When you develop this relationship with another person, it becomes extremely intense. Several things start happening in the brain, which involves several chemicals. I'm not going to mention all of them. There's more there than we have time to talk about. The two primary ones that we typically talk about, because it helps people understand what's going on. The first is there's an increase in dopamine. Now, dopamine is an ecstasy chemical. It makes you feel good. It gives you all kinds of levels of excitement and wonder. People who run and get a high from running, for example, will get a dopamine high. Or people, if you, if you buy a lottery ticket and discover that you just won $65 million, you'll probably have a great deal of dopamine released into your brain, and you will feel ecstatic. And so people in limerence have an increase in dopamine. They tend to have this ecstasy in relationship to the person for whom they have the limerence. Now, as this occurs, there's also a decrease in a chemical called serotonin. Serotonin does several things. It's actually a bonding chemical. It's also a calming chemical. Now, imagine what happens when your ecstasy chemical is getting higher and higher, meaning you have more of that uh, euphoria that you feel, and the calming chemical gets lower and lower, which means you also, in addition to the great euphoria you feel, you can also feel a great deal of fear and worry and anxiety. And that's typically what's going to happen when a person gets into a limited relationship. So let's just say I... Fall into a limited relationship with, I'll make up an imaginary woman. I'll just call her Sally Sue. Now, typically what's going to happen is we're going to be attracted to each other in some fashion, and that's how we're going to start developing a relationship. As we start developing the relationship, we're going to start sharing facts of our lives. We'll share first what I call innocuous facts. That means I tell you things that I'm not afraid you're going to reject me for. Like, hey, I live in Tennessee. Where do you live? Hey, I went to, uh, got my PhD from the University of Sydney. Well, what education do you have? And so forth and so on. Just facts that you share, just in general conversation, that reveal some information, but they're not threatening facts. Most of us, 
if not all, do have some things about ourselves that we do not consider to be innocuous. What I mean by that is we fear that if the other person knows that he or she may reject us. Like, for example, if I were to say, oh, and by the way, I'm also a recovering alcoholic. By saying something like that, I have some fear that you may just reject me altogether and go, oh, he's an addict, just forget him. Now, we all have some kinds of things in our past, maybe some of us even in our present, that we're afraid for other people to know. Not just things that we have done, but things that have been done to us. For example, sometimes people will hide the fact that they have been sexually molested or even raped. And as these things happen, oh, we also tend to sometimes hide our dreams, the things we want to do in life, because we're afraid if we tell people, you know, this is what I do, but what I really would love to do is be an opera star, a, a ballet dancer, a, a top 10 recording artist. We have all kinds of things about ourselves. We tend to, to be afraid to share to other people for fear that we'll be rejected. Now, if you find some kind of attraction to each other, it can be physically attracting, uh, such as, wow, I find you alluring. It can be intellectually attracting, like, wow, I really enjoy talking to you. We really can relate to each other. It can be emotionally attracting. Wow, I just feel good when I'm around you. Things you do lead me to have these tremendous, powerful, wonderful emotions. It can even be spiritually attractive, like, I admire you. I admire what you're doing. I admire what you believe. I admire what you stand for. And when some kind of attraction like that occurs, and then you start sharing the facts of your life, and you start finally getting to the point where you realize the other person is accepting you, and you're becoming less and less afraid to tell him or her about this or that, and you start sharing those deeper facts, and the other person accepts you anyway, treats you with respect and kindness and so forth and so on. And then you reciprocally start doing that back toward him or her. And then you go past sharing the facts of your life to start sharing the feelings, the emotions you feel, because the emotions you feel always tell more about you than the facts of your life. I guess I can illustrate that this way. If you've ever done anything that was a violation or contradiction of your belief and value system, what tells more about you? What you did or how you feel about what you did? Emotions really reveal the true us. And if I can't share the facts of my life with you for fear that you'll reject me, then I'm certainly not going to share the emotions of my life. But if I'm sharing deeper and deeper facts, facts that I think that you might reject me for, but you continue to accept me anyway, I'll start sharing those emotions as well. And as I start sharing those emotions, those feelings, and you continue to accept me, we are in the process of falling in love. And if it turns into limerent love, then everything kicks into high, high gear. I'll have the ecstasy when I think about you. I'll have the ecstasy when I'm with you, when I see you, ecstasy when I'm talking to you. And I'll also have some fear when I'm not with you, thinking, oh, my goodness, after he or she thinks about that, will he or she reject me? Or fear that when we're together, your facial expression indicates that maybe you're not happy with me right now. Or Fear that you will find somebody better than me and move on. And so the combination of the fear, which always, by the way, makes passion stronger, fear always intensifies passion, and that great ecstasy you feel when you think the other person is happy with you puts you on this amazing emotional roller coaster that actually is so powerful that you begin to do things such as obsessively think about the other person. According to Fisher's work, for example, 
We know that people who are in deep limerence can actually spend as much as 85% of their waking hours thinking about the limerent object, the person they have the limerence for. Now, that's definitely obsessive thinking. They also will tend to do things like change their habits. They'll start doing things they didn't do before, like maybe they start working out. They start exercising, for example. They, they change their hairstyle. They change the way they dress. They even change their cologne. They start doing whatever they think will make the other person happier with them. And then they stop doing some things they used to do before, either because those things now take too much time, which keeps them from being with the limerent object. And even if they can't be directly with the object, they want to spend their time thinking about the object, almost daydreaming in a very intense fashion. And so anything that keeps them from having that time to either be with them or obsessively think about them, they tend to stop doing. And so some of the hobbies they had before, they give up. Some of the friendships they had before, they actually begin to move away from. They find themselves thinking that this person, and I'll just refer to that person now as the L.O., the limerick object, the person who that you are, quote, madly in love with, end quote, thinking and feeling to yourself, ah, this is the most amazing thing in the world. Nobody has ever felt what we do. And if only we could be together, then life would be amazing until death. And therefore, this is the most important thing I've ever found. It, it overwhelms everything else in my life. And the things that I used to think were so amazing, they're still good, maybe. But this is the most amazing, the most powerful. This is what I want to do. This is who I want to be with. And my life will only be complete if the two of us wind up together. Now, as a part of that, there's a thing that takes place called the halo effect. And the halo effect is because you are so crazy about that person. You so much want to be with him or her. You so much want that person's approval and acceptance that you can't see their flaws. Either you don't see them at all, or if you do see them, you minimize them. Like, I know people talk about that in a bad way, but it's really not nearly as bad as they think. I mean, if they just really understood her or really understood him, and so they, they just downplay any of the negatives about that person because of the halo effect. Now, limerence has basically three phases. Now, remember again, Fisher's work indicates that it's going to last somewhere between three months and 36 months. My friend Barry McCarthy just wrote, wrote a new book for people who help people with sexual problems. Barry is a renowned sex therapist and researcher. He actually claims in that book that limerence lasts about two years. Well, I don't know exactly how long it lasts. I don't know if, if she's right, if he's right. I do know that occasionally, that occasionally I will meet somebody where it's lasted actually longer than three years. But those tend to be what we call statistical outliers. In other words, they occur, but they don't fit the norm. They don't fit the pattern. They're unusual. They're rare. And I've never seen one last 20 years, 10 years, those kinds of things, although sometimes they can last a little bit longer than three years. Now, in this process, it has a beginning phase, a middle phase, and an end phase. People ask me questions such as, well, is it like a third, a third, and a third? A third of the time is the beginning, and then a third of the time is the middle, and a third of the time is the end? Or is it like 25, 50, 25? What is it? And there is no way to know. You see, if you're going to research something like that, you'd have to be able to actually define clearly 
what is the beginning stage and exactly when does it end and go into the middle stage and what that is exactly and exactly when does that end and go into the final stage. And, and it just doesn't work like that because it's not particularly linear. It's more like sometimes three steps forward and two steps back. Like it goes and then it backs up a little bit, then it goes more and then it backs up a little bit. And so I can't tell you the percentage of time for phase one, phase two, phase three, which is beginning, middle, and end. I can tell you general characteristics that occur in the three stages. In the early stages, people who are in limerence. Now, oh, by the way, I need to clarify something here. If two people are single and, and are good for each other, then we, we don't need to try to figure out what the beginning, the middle, and the end phases are because, hey, what's the problem? The only downside is going to be is that they're going to lose some productivity because people who are obsessing and obsessively thinking about the other person tend not to be very effective. I actually had to let a young lady go a few years ago who worked for me because she spent all her time at work obsessing about this man she was in limerence with. And, and I let her go, not because she was in limerence. I let her go because she was not productive at all, not whatsoever. And I couldn't get her to stop. But if two people are single and have a right to each other and, and are not bad for each other, then um, we don't even try to figure out what's going on. Hey, you go through the limerence, you'll be fine down the road. It is going to wear off. And hopefully when the limerence finally does end, you will replace it with replaces the wrong word, that it will grow into a deeper, more satisfying kind of love, which is not going to have the same level of ecstasy at all, but can be deeper and more fulfilling. Limerence is bad in a couple of situations. One is, even if you're single, if the person that you have developed limerence for is bad for you and you can't see it, everybody else in your world can. Oh my goodness, this is destructive. This is going to be so bad for you. And you just definitely do not believe that. As a matter of fact, Tenob in her work points out that in that case, typically the person in limerence is going to view anybody who tries to stop her or him from being with the LO, the limerent object, as being an enemy. Like, you're in my way. I've got to get rid of you. You're bad. And rather than seeing the limerence of the LO, the limerent object, as bad, they'll see you as bad for getting between the two of them. And you have seen those situations where a single person wound up eventually marrying a person who was just really, really bad for them. And they never saw it until the limerence began to wear off. And then when the halo effect began to end, oh my goodness, how in the world could I have ever married you? How did I get into this? This is all bad. The other time that limerence is bad is if you are already in a relationship with one person and you develop limerence with another. So for example, in my case, if I'm married to Alice, and by the way, that is my real wife, wife's name, Alice, if I'm married to Alice, but I wound up developing, developing limerence for Sally Sue, now it's bad because what's going to happen is I'm going to start doing all kinds of things that will allow me to go be with Sally Sue. Now understand this, it doesn't typically happen instantly. It typically happens a little gradually. And so what will happen is like I've described earlier, we'll start talking about things, sharing the facts of our lives. And as we accept each other, eventually move into sharing the emotions of our lives as we share the deeper things of our lives and feel like, wow, nobody has ever understood me like this. I've never been able to talk to anybody like I can talk to her. I can tell her anything and she accepts me anyway. And then that, that ecstasy begins to develop and finally gets bigger and stronger and stronger. And the fear that, wow, 
you know, there's people, I'm married to Alice. I might not ever wind up with you. I mean, the people that we know will say, this is wrong. I can't be with you because I'm married to Alice. Oh, and my religion says thou shalt not commit adultery. And here I am married to Alice. And because I'm becoming so emotionally attached to you, it's now moving from an emotion that I've already felt guilty about because you have supplanted Alice in my life as the most important person. But now it's growing into a sexual attachment. Limerence does not, by the way, always become sexual. Sometimes it no, doesn't go past the emotional state. But unfortunately, at least based on our experience, most of the time, it will finally move into the sexual arena. And then, and then I, the person now who is in limerence with Sally Sue, but married to Alice, I'm going to go first into what's called compartmentalized thinking. What that means is... I won't let myself think about that what I'm doing is in contradiction to my belief and value system. I don't let those two things happen in my brain at the same time. But that only lasts for just so long. And finally, I have to recognize the fact that what I'm doing, you know, being unfaithful to my wife with this woman that I am, quote, madly in love with, end quote, is adultery. It's infidelity. We can use nice words like an affair, but we still know that it's in contradiction to the belief and value system that most people have particularly in my case or situation because of my Christian faith. And so here I am. Now I go into a thing called cognitive dissonance. And in cognitive dissonance, dissonance means disharmony. The way I think and the way I feel are in such contradiction to each other that I am absolutely miserable. Now, nobody wants to live in cognitive dissonance. As a matter of fact, I don't think anybody can for a long time because it just tears them up. And they'll go through things like depression. You'll go through things like anxiety. They'll become really bad at what they're doing at work. I mean, all kinds of things happen. And then as a process of that needing to be resolved, it can only be resolved in one of two ways. Either A, I stop doing the thing that's in contradiction to my belief and value system, which in the illustration I'm using means I'd have to give up my relationship with Sally Sue and go back to Alice. Or... I change my belief and value system to make it okay. And what that means is that I finally decide, wait a minute, uh, it's okay to be with her. Now, that may mean I change my religious beliefs. It may mean that I change my moral beliefs. It certainly almost always means, and notice I said almost always means, it will change my beliefs about Alice. Even potentially my beliefs about marriage and possibly even my beliefs about my own children. As a result of all that, by the way, I am going to wind up changing my beliefs about me. And so what is, happens in my beliefs toward Alice? Well, if I start comparing Sally Sue and Alice in any way, I have Sally Sue with a halo effect. I mean, everything about her is wonderful and amazing. I want to be with her. And when I am and she's happy and reciprocates with me, I am in ecstasy. But Alice, Alice is now my enemy because she's keeping me from Sally Sue. And so I start finding Alice's flaws and exacerbating them. By the way, not every person in limerence will do that. Some people never will actually look for the flaws and exacerbate the flaws in their own spouse, even as they leave their spouse for the other person. But based on my experience with thousands of couples, most people, most, when they're leaving the spouse, they go be with the limerent object. They will indeed vilify the spouse. It's part of justifying what he or she's doing. It's part of 
you know, giving me the ability to do this because, boy, I mean, you know Alice and you just see that sweet little woman, but you don't live in the same home with her and you don't know this about her and you don't know that about her. And anything she does that's not good, and by the way, no matter how perfect the person is that you're married to, he or she sometimes does three things. All of us occasionally mess up. And so in that process, I can find things that she really does do wrong. And then as I exacerbate those and blow them up, I begin to vilify her. She becomes the villain in my mind. Hey, I don't need to be with this woman. I've been unhappy for years. We actually call that rewriting history. It's part of what's happening in the brain, not necessarily consciously. It's not something I sit down and plan out. Hey, if I change my perceptions of Alice, oh, oh, and if by the way, I start changing the history we had together in my mind, no, it's not something people sit down and figure out that they're going to do. It just starts happening. And so the good experiences with Alice, of being in love with her and the good times we've had to get her, begin to minimize them, I mean, pretty dramatically. As a matter of fact, actually begin to be shut off in compartments in my brain where they're not even being accessed anymore. It's part of this process called rewriting history. She, she was never my great love. I, I should have never been with her. As a matter of fact, the only person that could potentially be my soulmate is Sally Sue, because, wow, she listens to me. She understands me. I listen to her. We can talk about anything. And I have never felt this way about anybody. And she says she's never felt this way. I don't think we could even explain it to anybody else on the planet, because nobody has ever experienced what we're experiencing. Now, by then, you're in the middle phase of limerence somewhere. And in the middle phase, in the middle phase, it is extremely strong and it's compelling. Now, in the beginning stage, and I can't tell you if the beginning stage is going to last five months, five days, five weeks. I can't tell you that. I just know that in the beginning phase, there will be some vacillation because of the cognitive dissonance. The thing I'm doing is wrong. I should not do this. I need to stop this. And so the vacillation will be coming home or telling my wife, you know, I just thought the other day about the time we did this thing and it just made all these good memories come in my mind and or, you know, I really miss my kids, uh, whatever. All kinds of things start happening in the vacillation period. And typically, when two people are falling into limerence with each other, one goes in faster than the other. And so let's say in the situation I'm describing, this illustration I'm using, let's say that Sally Sue goes in first. And let's say that I, Joe, as I'm becoming more and more involved with her in this limerence thing and now beginning to cross the boundaries and doing things in contradiction to my belief in value system, which may not yet even be sex. It could be the fact that we're sneaking around so we can talk to each other. It could be the fact that I know that she's becoming the most important person in my world. But as I'm feeling the guilt about that, I may try to pull away. This is bad. This is, I shouldn't do this. And if she's going in faster than I, and she's been listening to me all this time, which she has, and we've been developing this extremely close emotional connection, which is what Flemmers is about, then she'll know the things to say and the things to do to keep pulling me back because the more she can pull me back, the less likely it is I'm actually going to leave her and go back to my wife. Now that doesn't necessarily paint her as evil. Although I'm sure in that situation, Alice would certainly think she's evil. It just means that she is. Oh, so overwhelmed by this thing called limerence. It's become so powerful and so strong in her that she'll do anything she can to keep it alive. And if I try to pull away, she'll find a way to pull me back. She'll get sick. One lady told me, wow, when I told him it was over, he actually passed out and fell right in front of me, cut his head. I had to take him to the emergency room. I couldn't leave him then. Uh, 
All kinds of things happen to keep you there in the initial stages. So in phase one, there is some vacillation. People look like they're going to come back, and then they go back, and then they come back, and et cetera, et cetera. But when they finally get to that middle phase, and I can't tell you how long that middle phase is going to last. Might it be shorter than the initial stage? Yes, it really may. May it be real short? It's possible. Maybe longer than the initial stage? Yes, that too. Going to be a lot longer? Yes, that's possible. But in that middle stage, as I referred to it, people are so entwined with each other emotionally and every other way. It's like we are the only two people in the world that count, and everybody else is against us. And the only people we'll associate with, if any, are those people who seem to be okay with our being together. They'll still be our friends. We'll be around them. But anybody else that we think might be judgmental or condemning or telling us this is wrong, no, we pretty well shut those people out of our lives, which might include our spouses, which might include our children, even even if our children aren't really saying much about it. And it might certainly be the people we go to church with, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, at some point, at some point, there's going to be the final stage. Again, I can't tell you when it's going to happen. I can't tell you how long it's going to happen. But when it starts, it's going to be where the person starts vacillating again. And by the way, the one who went into limerence the fastest is typically the one that comes out the fastest. And it's the other person then trying to pull him or her back. So if Sally Sue goes in faster than I and she keeps pulling me back in in the initial stages, then in the middle intense phase, we are like, oh, my goodness, we were meant to be together. It's us against the world. This is amazing. On the back end of that, she would be the one who would start coming out first, typically somewhere between three months and 36 months from the time it started. She's the one who's coming out first, and I'm the one because I now know so much about her that I'm trying to pull her back and get her back in their relationship with me. Don't leave me, whatever you do. Now, that stage, just like I said earlier, is still three steps forward and two steps back. It's not directly linear. What I mean is that a person might actually, as they're coming out, let's say now the steps, the three steps are toward coming out of limerence and the two steps are now going back into limerence. Let's put it that way. I might actually call Alice and say, you know, I've been thinking about you. I've been missing you a lot. Can I come over and see you and the kids? And, and we'll grill out Saturday like we used to. And I go, and Alice and I have a really good conversation and a good visit. And Alice is like, wow, this is not the Joe I've seen for a while. This is the old Joe this back. It looks like maybe we're going to make it. Maybe he's going to wind up leaving that woman. He even actually said a couple of bad things about her. And then the next thing you know, Joe doesn't call for the next month. No contact whatsoever at all. Who's he with? Well, he's back with Sally Sue. What happened? Three steps forward, two steps back. That's the way it goes. He goes a little bit back the other way, a little bit back the other way, a little bit, and then back the other way again. And so even coming out of limerence can take a little while to do. And even when it finally does end, it does not necessarily mean that I'm going back to Alice. Now, let me explain that before I start taking the phone calls here in about five minutes. Okay, why would I not necessarily go back to Alice if the limerence finally ends? Let's say Sally Sue finally just walks out of me and says, I'm not going to be with you anymore. Of course, for a while, I'll do my best to get her back. I'll try everything I can. I'll go a little crazy, probably, trying to get her back. But when I finally realize she's not coming back, this is over, I have spent so much time, at least in my subconscious brain, working against Alice, vilifying her to justify what I've been doing, to allow me to leave and have some degree of conscience left within me that I may not go back to Alice because 
I still see it not being good to be with her. Now, here's the general principle. People don't leave what they have unless they believe what they're going to is better. And so in the illustration I've been using all along, I left Alice because I felt like being with Sally Sue would be better. Okay, now what if Sally Sue finally just leaves me and I now try and try and try to get her back and she won't come back and now alone? Wouldn't I see being with Alice as being better than alone? Not necessarily. For a couple of reasons. One is I've been vilifying her for so long, making her the bad person that I may still continue to think of her that way. Secondly, it may be that Alice has done some things in the meantime that make it where I don't want to be with her, that I actually will see being alone as being better than being with her. Let's say she's been telling everybody and his neighbor how bad I am, telling Joe did this, Joe did this, spreading all those things, and now it's everywhere. And no matter where I go, it, it feels like everybody looks at me like, boy, you are scum. I can't believe you did that to your wife. Can't believe you did that to your children. Can't believe you did that to your church, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If I feel that I have been so condemned, talked about, castigated, judged because of what Alice had been doing, I might still see being alone as being better than going back to be with her because look how much damage she did to me. She has poisoned everyone around me. I, I don't have any of those old relationships and can never again because of what she's done. Or add another step to it. It may be that even if Alice doesn't do that, I still may think being alone is better than going back to her because I feel like everybody's judging me and doesn't want to be around me. When I say everybody, I mean people connected to our previous marriage, the one when I was with Alice. So it might be people at the church we used to go to. It could be her family. It could be the friends we had together. Even now, even if Alice didn't do any of that, I may still feel all those things and still think being alone is better than going back because if I go back, I'm going to be humiliated. I'm going to be put down. I'm going to be judged. I'm going to be treated like dirt for the rest of my life by those people. Therefore, I'm better off to stay where I am now. Or it may be that because I am so emotionally devastated by the loss of Sally Sue that I actually start doing other things to sensually cover that. So maybe I start drinking heavily or maybe I start hanging out at strip clubs all the time. Maybe Maybe I start stealing people's prescription drugs if ever I'm invited to someone's house and, and then I take those when I'm alone. Or maybe I start getting into lugs, uh, drugs that are illegal. Or maybe I wind up going crazy for a while and sleeping with every woman I can possibly pick up. Or for <laughs> some real reason, they pick me up. And now I'm living a lifestyle that's so inconsistent and so dramatically in contradiction to the lifestyle I had before that I'm thinking, this is where I'm going to live now, because at least now I can be me. And if I go back, I'm not going to be me anymore. I'm going to pretend to be what people want me to be, act like people want me to act, act like I'm going to feel what people want me to feel. And I'd rather be true to myself and be who I am now than to go back to all that. By the way, <laughs> I just heard hope hit the floor and shatter for a few people because you're thinking, oh, my goodness, there is no hope. No, there is. As a matter of fact, everything I've described to you so far, everything I've described to you so far in that imaginary illustration of Alice and Sally Sue and me happened just as I described it. Yes. Oh, it was a long time ago. Alice and I have been remarried. As a matter of fact, next week, it'll be 29 years in our second marriage. 
If you want to go ahead and send us uh, congratulations and anything like that, just send it to askjoe at marriagehelper.com. That's A-S-K-J-O-E, askjoe at marriagehelper. That's marriagehelper.com. And we'd be happy to hear anything that you'd like to say to us for our anniversary that comes up next week. It's actually, uh, well, we actually have two. Let me tell you what they both are. June 7th is the anniversary of our first marriage. That's the one that Alice and I celebrate together. June 14th is the celebration of our second marriage. That's the one that will be 29 years. Uh, The first one, a little longer than that. We first married each other on June 7th in 1969. But on June 14th, 29 years in this marriage, and we celebrate that with our girls because that's the day we all married each other again. So I'd love to hear from you about that. Any message you want to send to us. Hey, if you want to give a gift to our nonprofit for our wedding anniversary, take to that too. You send askjoe at marriagehelper.com. We'll tell you how to do that. But what I'm telling you now is this. I did every bit of thing, every bit of that, everything that just I described in the last 30 minutes we lived through. And so I didn't go back to Alice. When Sally Sue finally left me and I tried, I did everything I could. By the way, Sally Sue is not her real name. When I tried to get Sally Sue back, doing everything I knew how to do to get her back, and she wouldn't, and now I'm devastated, I actually thought, well, I know that Alice has probably said really bad things about me, but whether she did or not, I know that all those people hate me because it was so public where we lived and it spread through all the churches that we were associated with and why would I ever go back to Alice? Because those people all hate me now. And it must be that her family would hate me too. Oh, and by the way, the pain, the pain from losing Sally Sue led me right into the bars, right into the liquor, lots of liquor, right into the many uh, sexual encounters with other women that I didn't care about just to cover my pain and into stealing people's narcotics if ever I was invited to their home. Their pain relievers, their muscle relaxers, uh, Valium, (laughs) all those kinds of things. And so I saw the life that I was living as being better than going back because now at least I was free and I was me and I didn't have to be what those church people wanted me to be or anyone else. So I went on for a while until finally one day, finally one day, and this is what I hope for you. And so I'm going to wind up talking about limerence and start taking calls with this. Finally, one day I realized I missed me. I had changed my belief and value system to allow me to do the things that I was doing. And when I changed my belief and value systems, I became a different person. No, I didn't see this. It was happening. It evolved. You understand, or actually devolved might be the better word. And if you had told me at the time you've become a different person, I would have laughed at you probably. But when finally, finally I realized I don't like who and what I've become. I want to be me again. And no, I am not going to live by some artificial standards. I'm not going to be what church people want me to be or anybody else. I am going to be me. But the real me I left behind a few years ago when I started on this journey. And the only way I can go back and try to be that person again is to go back and see if Alice will take me back. She may refuse, but at least I have to try. And she did. And, and, and by the way, that makes Alice definitely the hero of our story. I hope you understand that. And so we did remarry coming up on 29 years ago. So I'm trying to tell you that even though all those things I described may make it sound like, oh, my goodness, there is no hope. This is terrible. It's going to be the end of everything. Not necessarily true. No matter how bad it becomes, no matter how far the other person goes, 
no matter how many mean and vicious and cruel things they say to you, because I said some really bad things, not only about Alice, but to Alice, all of that can finally come to an end. But here's what you need to understand. During all of this, what you want to do is be the best you you can be. You're not going to gain anything by poisoning the well by telling everybody else about how evil your spouse is. It's not really going to benefit you. It might get you some sympathy, but it's not really going to help in the long run. Oh, and if you ever do start to put the marriage back together, those very people you've told all those terrible things to are going to be the people saying, oh, no, 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 don't take it back. Don't you remember what you said about him and about her, et cetera, et cetera. So that's not going to do you any good. Instead, you take care of yourself. If you have my book, The Art of Falling in Love, or if you go through the articles that are free on marriagehelper.com, you can understand there the things you do to become the best that you can be of you because you see it. If ever you want to put this marriage back together, at some point, what you're hoping is that your husband or wife who has strayed will turn and look at you and think, wait a minute, I think it'd be better to be with him or with her than to be alone out here doing what I'm doing. But that's not going to happen if you deteriorate. In other words, you need to be the best you can be and there's no advantage to you to beat me up and all those other kind of things. Now, can you be strong? Yes, Alice was. She was strong to our divorce. She didn't let me have all the things I wanted to have. Did I get mad at her? Yeah. Did I yell at her? Yeah. Was I really angry with her attorney? Yeah, very much. So I'm not saying don't be strong. You do be strong. You take care of yourself, but you don't be mean. And when finally you keep taking care of yourself, if ever an opportunity is going to exist for the limerick to come back, it's going to be when finally he or she gets to the point of looking around and going, wow, I believe being back with my spouse is better than where I am now. Look how she's grown. Look how he's changed. Now, in the meantime, while, you're, while they're still out there in the limits and those crazy things, they actually make, make, may make fun of your growing and changing. They may say all kinds of things like, I'm glad you're growing because it just shows you don't need me. You can live without me. By the way, that's just the way they stab their conscience. Don't pay any attention to any of those things. Keep doing what you need to do for you until you finally get out there. And that opportunity hopefully presents itself. Now, I can tell a lot more about how you do that if you are in our 10-week online course. And by the way, forgive this, i like a commercial, but it's just I realize I've got to start taking questions now. I've talked too long. But there's so much more there is to say. And so if you are not in our 10-week online course, you just go to marriagehelper.com slash, that's marriagehelper, marriagehelper.com slash, save my marriage, all one word, no spaces. And you can find out about how to get into our team week course. And we'll teach you a whole lot more there about how to do all those things. But you can ultimately, hopefully, put your marriage back together. I can't guarantee it. But I can guarantee you that if you do the things we tell you to, if anything works, that will. And, and, it's absolutely the best thing you can do for you. Well, I talked a lot longer than I intended to. It's time to start going to the phones here. We'll go to area code 937. You've been on hold quite a long time out there, 937. Are you there? Yes, I am. Hi. Can you give me a first name, please? Um, Jamie. Janie? Jamie with an M. 
<laughs> okay, Jamie. I'm sorry. Even with my headphones on, I'm deaf. I apologize. How oh, can I help okay. you? This, how can I help you this uh, evening? Um, I had talked to you a couple of weeks ago um, about my husband living out of state um, for the last mm-hmm. six months with the other woman, um, and I have three kids, uh, 14, 12, and nine. Um, my 12 and nine year old are the only ones that visit him, um, and I was just curious on the limerence. Um, when they when he's staying with her, is that a greater opportunity for the limerence to start to fade? I mean, our contact is minimal, and here in the last few weeks since Mother's Day, he hasn't even reached out to my middle son, which is the one he normally you know texts or talks to, for like three weeks until today. Is oh, wow. it normal that they they just fall off the face of the earth, so to speak, for a few weeks? Is that like vacillation? Is it guilt? I mean, is it potentially, you know, the reality of him staying there for the last six months with her kids and he's not with his. All I mean, of those things. we're not fighting or anything, but um, it glad. really concerns me that we don't have, like, instead of communicating with me like, by calling me, is there a reason that he'll only do it, like, through text message or just like I hadn't heard from him in a couple of weeks and he'll find a reason to email, like he emailed me a copy of a bill. And said, "Hope all is well. Have a good weekend." But he won't call me. Like, I don't understand if that's he doesn't want to hear my voice. Um, so it's kind of hard for me to show him the change with that because I'm not whining, begging, blowing his phone up. I'm waiting for opportunities, but it's via text message. So mm-hmm. how's he going to see my changes or hear them? You know, I don't know how to pursue that to to make it better because my fear is the longer he's there, the more he's going to get into his mind the damage is already done i need to i might as well stay here and that's not what i want him to feel but with no communication i don't know how to relay that to him right i understand okay there's a whole bunch of things you mentioned there so (laughs) if i can sift back yeah i'm sorry oh no it's okay it's all right i I didn't want to just bust in and interrupt you there when you start talking about why does he do what he does i can give you speculation but obviously Mm -hmm. Neither one of us are going to know exactly why he does what he does because motivations are so unique to the individual. Is it possible that he is spending less time having contact with your kids because of the fact that he has supplanted them with her kids? Yes, that's a possibility. Is it possible that he feels guilty about it and therefore that's why he's not in contact with your children because he is anticipating that, that they have been so hurt by him that they will somehow communicate to him that they are hurt by him and he doesn't want to hear that. Is that possible? Absolutely. In other words, it's a way of, of running away from, it could be a way of running away from added guilt. Like I, I know I hurt you, but if I don't have to see it in your face or hear it in your voice, it's not as bad as if I hear your voice or, or, or see your face. Is that a possibility? He does that. He, he does that with my oldest. Like they, he he's doing that with my 14 year old son because my 14 year old son is the one that's told him since day one, this is wrong or whatever. So he gets frustrated because he calls him out. Now my middle Mm -hmm. one is in counseling, but my thing is my middle one and my daughter, they don't want to tell him his feelings. And I totally get that I'm the safe place or whatever, but they don't want to tell him that they don't like the other woman, that they want him to come home because they don't want him to be upset. And that's not mm-hmm. a good thing for them to bear, but I'm not going to feed them what to say, how to say, and put pressure on them. So what would be a good way to 
to let them okay. know, you know. What, what they're doing is what most kids do. What your 14-year-old's doing is actually the exception. I, I admire mm-hmm. his strength. The fact that your 14-year-old has that kind of backbone, I, I think that's awesome. The, the fact that the other kids are not doing that, they're actually doing what most all kids do, which is, wow, you've walked out of my life, and I'm afraid to lose you. Therefore, I'm afraid to do anything that may push you away from me. And therefore, mm-hmm. will they tend to act as if they accept things that, that just break their hearts? Yeah, they will tend to do that. And that's typical for the kids. Now, I'm sure that you would not do this anyway, but let me just point this out. What you want to be very careful of is not to ever let your kids become a pawn in this. In other words, yeah. and, and, and by the way, I'm not implying you would do this, but you would never, yeah. ever say something like, well, you need to tell your dad how you feel about this because because then that makes them the pawn. They go like, I'm already scared to death. I'm, I don't know what's going to happen. Don't Please don't push me for that. So what you do with those is exactly the same thing you do with a 14-year-old, but it's just about different things. And what that is, you say, I'm here. I love you. I understand how you feel. I support you. Now, that's for the sake of your children because they right. obviously are the innocent victims in all of this. Most kids, not all, but most kids whose parents go through what you're going through will have within them some degree of fear thinking, I wonder if I caused this. And so that's why you're very, very careful. And of course they didn't, but that's why you're going to be very, very careful to just affirm them. I love you. I'm here for you. I understand how you feel and therefore don't encourage them. In my opinion, I mean, you do what you think is right. They're your kids, not mine. But in my opinion, you don't tell them they ought to tell them what they really think at the same time. By affirming the 14-year-old, I'm, I'm proud of you for standing up for what you believe. And in essence, you've communicated that to the other kids without hurting them. In other words, they see you affirming it in your boy. Now, let's go back to your husband for a minute. Typically, limerence ends in one of three ways. The first is they finally wind up truly together. Now, are you guys divorced yet? No, no, nothing's even been filed. All of his no. stuff's still at the house. He just took a suitcase. It's been six months. Okay. All and right. he's still paying everything. So really nothing's happened except for he's not physically here. Right. So that still does not mean that they are totally together yet. Now, even if he's living there, the fact that he's not divorced from you and that some of his stuff is still there means he hasn't taken himself completely out of that world. All right. Just stay with me now. When finally, mm-hmm. when finally the two people get together, limerence begins to fade. Because remember, part of it, part of it was the fact, if you heard everything we've said about it, Part of what makes it so strong is the fear factor, the fact that this may not work, may not last. If they wind up like totally together, okay, he divorces you, moves all of his stuff over there, then that fear thing begins to subside for him and for her, which means that it will not be too terribly long before they start going into the final or third stage of limerence. It starts heading out because as the fear decreases, as the fear decreases, then the limerence also decreases. The fact that he hasn't done that yet means he's not quite there. But, but the fact that he hasn't filed for divorce, the fact that he hasn't moved his stuff out also indicates a good possibility that he's not totally committed to that over there either. Right? Like the valley that you talk about? Mm-hmm. I'm saying that the fact that even though he's living with her and doing right. all the crappy stuff he's doing, he hasn't divorced mm-hmm. you. He's paying all of bills he still contacts you a little bit pretty well indicates that he's not 100 percent into that over there either 
He's still living yeah. a little bit of uh, maybe a little vacillation here. So yeah. I, I cannot predict for you that that means that one won't make it, but I'm telling you I understand. that from my perspective, based on the experience I've had with couples, the fact that he has not made those committal moves toward her actually is a good sign. And the fact that he still right. sometimes contacts you even a little bit is still a good sign. Now, to well, your other question. The contact we do have is positive. Okay, and that's good. So that's have, great. Yeah. All right, the other question that you asked was, okay, how can mm-hmm. I show him the changes that I've made since I don't, have a to, 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 I don't have a way to do that? There is a guy out there on the Internet who says what you do is you send him an email every day, you come a text every day, you contact him all the time, and that's how you do that. And mm-hmm. that's what he claims work. Based on what we hear from people, that actually can work really strongly against you because the other person feels like, oh, my goodness, you're pursuing, you're chasing, you're, you're, you're closing in on me. I feel trapped. And therefore, it tends to push them away faster. I, I would have re- reacted very badly to Alice if she had tried to contact me every day. I acted badly yeah. enough as it was, but I would have acted even worse if she had done that. So, so back to your question, you say, okay, if I'm not doing that, then what I do? What do I do? When there is contact, and you just said that when there's contact, it is positive, right, Jamie? I just heard you say that, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's okay. just about the kids, but it is. And like drop off and stuff, he always gives me a hug and Good. sent me a nice message for Mother's Day. You know, excellent. So it's not excellent. vilifying or anything. It's just Good. the distance, like the standoffish communication that worries me right i understand but those things are all good signs now again and i am redundant so forgive me i can't promise that that means he's going to come back but but those are really really good signs and oh good and as you're as you are continuing to develop yourself and become a better person which is what we all need to do anyway as you're doing that even those little encounters I'll guarantee you he's seeing it. Now, it's not like you have to show it all to him at one time and it's got to be, wow, you know, a big aha moment. It's going to be a little here like, wow, you know, she's actually stronger than she used to be. Wow, she, she's actually amazing. She can do this. It's exactly the way it happened with Alice and me is that over time, she wasn't trying to prove anything to me. She was just taking care of herself and doing the things she needed to do. But over time, I became extremely impressed with that a little at a time. So when you don't have yeah. the opportunity to do it, like, here I am, look at me, then what you do is every encounter, you just be the best you can be and hope it goes on from there. So, Jamie, I don't know that you can do anything differently than what you're doing now. Until, okay. So, like, until. like, you just don't keep reaching out to him, like, wait for him to reach out. I mean, other than kid things, I mean... I'm not, which is, I'm so glad I found your program. I absolutely love what you do. I, ever since the beginning, I can say that I have not begged, whined, and pleaded. Good. But then, it, you know, you start to doubt, like, well, if you're not reaching out, then they're thinking, okay, well, you're accepting this or you don't care. Then it's like out of sight, out of mind. That was my concern. But uh-huh. I don't cry and I'm not a blubbering mess or whatever. Right. And I don't throw right. the kids like, well, they're crying, you know, because of what you did. I'm not right. doing Good. any of that. Good for you, Jamie. You know, it sounds to me like you're doing exactly the right things. Now, if there's a reason to contact him, feel free. Mm-hmm. 
It's, it's just that you don't yeah. want to come across, and you, but you've got it. You already understand it. You just don't want to come across as whining, pleading, begging, those kinds of things, but you're not doing any of that. Yeah. But, if there's, but if there's a reason to contact him, like, hey, hey, our, our son just uh, is going to get a trophy. You want to come to, to the thing where he's going to get the trophy. All that's very appropriate because that's – I actually, Joe, did that tonight because my daughter's Excellent. birthday is Thursday, and Excellent. I texted him because he was doing the exchange of um, – I told him his sister – which, I mean, they're not super tight. He's not super tight with his family, unfortunately. He doesn't have a big family. But I had texted. He had asked about a summer schedule and mm-hmm. um, asked what we were doing for my daughter's birthday. And I said, well, we're going to go out to dinner with, you know, his sister and his mm-hmm. niece and nephew. And even though he's six hours away, I said, you're more than welcome to come. And, Good. Then, and then it was nothing. Then he went into, like, summer schedule. It wasn't mean. But it's like mm-hmm. I tried to extend a little bit. And Good. He doesn't he doesn't acknowledge it. Now, is okay. that a guilt thing, or is it just... Uh, Jamie, if we try to figure out exactly why he does what he does, we're going to have to... I know, uh, it We're going to have to become <laughs> psychics, okay? And, yeah. and I don't believe in psychics, so I don't think that's going to help us any. But yeah. I don't know why. I don't know why. But I think what you did was excellent. It sounds to me like okay. what you're doing is all the right stuff. Just make sure... Be careful that nothing you do, even inadvertently, makes those kids start feeling like they're being pushed into doing something. Just be there for them, from them. Keep doing what you're doing. And if at some point he starts opening up, then, then that's going to be awesome. I hope he does yeah. too. Now, if this goes on for like a year or two from now, I don't know how long it's going already, but let's just say from now, there may come a time when you're going to have to say, well, okay, now he's in the valley and I'm going to have to do something. The valley's when yeah. a person is not feeling compelled to have to make a decision one way or the other. I wouldn't worry about that today. But at some point, if he doesn't, and, and a lot more time passes, then we might need to talk about, okay, Jamie, it sounds like he's in the valley. What are your options here? But right, uh, right now, I think what you're doing is wonderful. So six months really isn't that long, even though it feels like an eternity. It feels like an eternity. It is not that long. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, okay, Jamie. Yeah, because he, he said something about my middle son um, when I told him that, you know, dad was wondering about the summer schedule, like, you know, are you going to go this weekend or, you know, whatever. And mm-hmm. I said, he might want you to do like a week there and a week here. And I could just mm-hmm. see my son has anxiety. You could see he was like, well, well, I don't know, maybe one week there and two weeks there. And I know it stinks, but I'm trying yeah. to be, even though I don't want him over there, my kids over there, I'm not holding the kids back from him. And he knows that's a big deal, mm-hmm. you know, because he knows how I feel about it, but I've never argued him about it. But right. for my son's well-being, it's like, you know, he wants to see his dad, but yep. and he doesn't like the other woman, but he don't want to tell his dad that because he don't want his dad to hurt. And I it's understand. like, bless your heart, you're 12. <laughs> I, I mean, understand. I do understand. It's always worse on the kids. With, within the next year, we're going to have some awesome materials for you, for your kids. Mm-hmm. And But that's a development now. It's just not ready yet. But we're, gonna, we're developing stuff just for what you're talking about. Because that's so tough on the kids. My heart's with the kids. Jamie, you keep yeah. doing what you're doing. You're doing great, my I friend. I appreciate it, Joe. Thank you. Okay, thank you. All right, we're going. That was Ohio. And let, let's move over to, oh, let's see, where are we going? I think this is actually New York we're going to. Area code 914. Hello, 914. Is this a New York number? It is. It's okay. Tina. How are you, Joe? Tina! My buddy, <laughs> Tina. I should know your number by now. My goodness. I know. How are you, Tina? 
I am great. I am very, very informative show. I am learning an awful lot. I thought I knew it all, but obviously I do not. Um, so just a couple of questions, if I can ask okay. of you, sure. Joe. Um, sure. Is there a chance that you talked about the three different stages, but is there a chance that they can go in and out of limerence? In other words, they can break up for, um, you know, like a month or two months and then go back together again. I know you said that one of them would pull them back, but, like, it seems like it's an awful lot, like maybe three yeah. four times this has happened. Yep, it can happen. It definitely can happen. Okay. And it's, it's uh, so sometimes it's not three steps forward, two steps back. It's 30 steps forward, 20 steps back. <laughs> but, but, yeah, it yeah. definitely can happen. I've seen it happen many times. But when that's happening, they're at least not in that middle strong phase when that's happening. Okay, there's one of them, at least one of them, is not in that middle strong phase where it wouldn't be happening like that. Okay, so one of them appears to be uh, nonchalant and not really, you know, just went back to went back to go back, but doesn't seem mm-hmm. to be really uh, um, there on a permanent basis. That's what I would I would say. That's, yes, um, right. I think that, I think that is correct. Yes. Okay, and so the other question is, um, if you could just touch on more, what would you recommend? the spouse to do while that person is in that limer with that limerence i mean what would you you know like the pies and how to behave what if there are no children in in the relationship and, and many times there aren't obviously tina and you know this like you're one of the smartest people i know so you know this there's there's a range of options that the the abandoned spouse, we'll just call them that for the time being. There's a range of options the abandoned spouse can do. For example, they can go straight to divorce if they wish to. Like, you know, I'm not putting up with this crap. And here's my attorney and, and here's the suit and we're going to get out of here. And, and obviously they can take that route if they wish. What we've discovered, Tina, and I, you will, I think that you would find this interesting. You know, we do some uh, Google ads and Facebook ads and stuff like that. And every time we run an ad saying, you know, if your spouse is cheating on you and, and you would like to save the marriage, you know, here's our free resources on our website. Every time we do that, we get hate mail from people saying you guys are evil and trying to tell anybody that they should save their marriage with a spouse who's cheated on them. You're evil, but you should be telling people really? to divorce and run on. Oh, yeah, we get that all the time. Wow. <laughs> so we know, that, we know that there's some people – who will just do that? And that's their right if they wish to. Their right is, I'll divorce, I'm gone. The other extreme, so let's go over to the stream before we get back to the middle. The other extreme are those who say, well, I'm, I'm just going to pretend this is not happening and act like everything is fine. Several years ago, well, I went to the wife of a friend of mine, and this was quite a few years ago, because I knew, I knew he was having multiple affairs because the women were coming to see me and, and telling me that he was having affairs and he wouldn't talk to me. So I actually went to his wife because he was my friend and said, look, I, I can help you guys. And her response was, these are all vicious rumors. These are not happening. Don't ever bring it up again. So you can always from the extreme of I'm going to divorce you now to the extreme of let's just pretend that nothing bad's happening. I have a theory about that. And that's this, the only time that hiding under the covers protects you from the boogeyman is when the boogeyman is not real. You know? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> okay. All yep. right. So, so now let's, let's go in between then. What is in between? In between is when you stand up for yourself so that you don't let yourself be mistreated. 
In other words, I'm not going to let you uh, yell at me in front of the kids. I'm not going to let you put us into a financial situation that's untenable. Uh, I'm not going to let you yell at me, period, whether the kids or not. The, the middle position says there are certain things that are just unacceptable and I will not tolerate. But at the same time, for right now, I'm not pressing toward the divorce because I love you and I want to work this thing out. And that's when we talk about things like the pies, work on yourself physically, be the best you can at your age and situation in life. Intellectually, keep your mind working and growing so you don't obsess about this yourself. Emotionally, hang out with people who can help you feel good. And spiritually, you know, work on your spiritual life. By the way, Tina, did you see the post I put on several Facebook sites about uh, finding good friends and not having a pity party? Did you see that post? By any yes, chance? I did. I loved that one. <laughs> when, when I, I when did I wrote see that. that. When I wrote that, I started to sign it, Tina, (laughs) (laughs) because because I thought this is exactly what Tina would say. So I I I nearly signed it, Tina, for that reason. And so there are the things, there are the things in the midtime, as you know, because you've been through it, that that 10 week course that we do kind of guides people through, here's some things to do, do this, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, do that. But obviously, people can go either extreme. We just say in the middle, don't let yourself be run over. Don't let yourself be mistreated. But at the same time, leave the door open as long as you can, showing love and concern and compassion. And maybe by that, you can get the person back. Yep, I agree. All right. And the the one last question I have is, what is your opinion about wearing your wedding ring? Does it give the uh, message to the the reluctant spouse that you're holding on. Is you that know, a possibility? I, it's a possibility. I, I don't think I have a strong opinion about that. I think that it would depend on how the other person reacts. If they never say anything about it and you want to wear your ring, I think that's wonderful. If on the other hand, you see them looking at it, scowling at it, making comments about it that are negative, then it might make more sense to take it off for a while. So I really think that's a case by case situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he has said he has asked me, you know, why are you wearing that? You know, and I said I'm but, standing but for that, my marriage. Okay, has he complained or been bitter or angry about it? No, no. Okay, he doesn't say then, he hasn't said anything in actually in months. So okay. I think he looks at it and he feels reassured a little bit though. Now oh. that's my opinion. He may. Yeah. He yeah. may. If you want to wear it, Tina, you wear it. I love this ring. <laughs> And if anybody says anything about it, you call me and I'll come up there. All right. Oh, really? Somebody does. Somebody, everybody's saying it. I I know a lot of people. You better get up here quick, Joe. (laughs) Well, well, let's see. I got a couple of things to do first. I've got to be in Dallas this weekend doing one of our workshops in Dallas. And they're working. Kimberly, uh, our executive director, is working me to death. Tina, you need to call her and tell her to quit working to go so bad. I might have to come down there. (laughs) (laughs) We would love to have you down here. We would love to. Well, I hope to be back to that workshop. I went, uh, as you know, that's where I first met you last Mm -hmm. year, and it was life-changing. And then, of course, I signed up for the course, and now I'm taking Mm -hmm. it for really the second real time. Um, I've Mm -hmm. kind of fudged it the middle time, but uh, always learning new things. And thank you again, Joe, and for the whole Marriage Helper staff. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tina. You know we love you to death. You take care of yourself, my friend. You too. Bye-bye. Okay. Okay, that was Tina in New York, one of my favorite people on the planet. I love it when she calls. Then we're going from there down to Virginia. Let's talk to this lady in Virginia. Hi, 703 Virginia. You're on the Joe Beam Show. 
Uh, hello, this is uh, yeah. my own. Oh, wow, I made it on. How awesome. Hi, Joe. It's, uh, you can call me Diana. Okay, so is that a little story? And, um, Diana. Diana. Okay, how can we help you tonight? Yeah. Okay, well, Joe, I have been going through this uh, situation since um, October, well, since November, I guess, um, when I when I realized what was going on. Um, my husband has had an affair with his uh, co-worker, um, mm. uh, but as I realized, I didn't quite know I overheard a conversation with a friend um, when I realized things weren't what weren't good. He was complaining, um, and what I find is that he he's he's got a lot of resentment um, towards me and just things that had happened in our marriage and nothing. Super, nothing really that stands out, but for him, it was things that he had resented. And so wow. um, I was responding to that. But as, um, you know, I kind of felt there were still secrets going on. And I didn't know you back then, but I did have a recorder and I was trying to figure it out. I know mm-hmm. not to do that. Um, mm-hmm. But it did, that is how I, I learned that there was a real affair going on with his coworker. Mm-hmm. And, um, so now that I know, um, I confronted him and a lot of denial. Um, but I guess for me, there's there's a lot of guilt, though, because I didn't see the anger and the resentment that had been building. So as I have been making this journey, you know, I said, well, I'm going to stand for my marriage. You know, I want to work on these things. Um, I've spent a lot of time talking you know, uh, he still can't seem to shake this person off. Mm-hmm. Um, he has, uh, I think after the denial and after he finally really came out with it, I think he's come to a place where he, maybe he's at the end of this limerence feeling because I've been able to tell this. Like I, I've, I have looked, I've, I've tried to get him to look at the, um, uh, what is it? Uh, one of your classes on, you know, should I choose my wife or my lover? Mm-hmm. And um, now he 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 and I try to be the safe place. He's tried to talk. Mm-hmm. He's told mm-hmm. me that you know they it's more of an emotional thing, uh, intellectual bond that they've made. Mm-hmm. And he said you know it's they've only been physical a handful of times, mm-hmm. and it's it's more just work and and fueling each other's successes. Mm-hmm. Um, still, I'm very threatened by it. I'm yeah. So does, he's, he's, does he and, still live at home with you? Yes, that's the other okay. piece. So he's still at home with me. Okay. Um, we've always had a very strong physical relationship. Okay, and, and that still continues now? He's still being sexual with you? Yes. Okay. Yes. And, and, is, and we've is tried, I've way, tried not to. Okay, but is he, is he in any way indicating he wants to end the marriage? He has. He has, and so I think that was that was kind of his thing. He he tries to tell me it's not an, about another woman. You know, we've had these issues for blah blah blah. But I was like, well, you can't say that when there is an actual other woman. You know. Okay, so let me let me make sure um, I'm understanding this. Okay, I want to make sure I understand the story. So he says okay. he's emotionally involved with another woman, and intellectually, there's been a few physical encounters. That, mm-hmm. that but he still wants to make love to you. He's still <laughs> living at home, but he's telling you yes. that he wants to end the marriage. Did I get all that correct? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. He's so, all over the place. so what specific question can I answer for you tonight? Okay. I guess uh, 
my question is exactly at what point um, will I know, you know, if he's, if it's at the, at the end. I mean, he has made the statement that, you know, he's tired of this. He's, he, he, he misses himself. Yes. Um, Good. But, but he says, you know, he's, he, but part of his resentment is that he gave up um, some career choices uh, for the family. Okay, so, so, he, so you're asking how mm-hmm. would you know when he finally ends it with her? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, how will I, how will I know? Um, because in this particular case, you know, what would make sense, of course, is that he quits his job. But okay. because he's already made sacrifices in the past for the family, I really don't want to ask him that because, I mean, he's, this, is, this is the most he's ever made. He's, he's a very ambitious person. Um, right, but here's what I'm hearing you say. I'm, I'm hearing a contradictory message from you, young lady. What I hear you say is this. I hear you say that, okay, I, I can't handle this, but he, he, he really does well over there, and so I need to leave him over there and, mm-hmm. you know, at work. And, and you realize that either you're going to have to have peace with him working there, which apparently you do not, or if he continues to work there, you're not going to have peace. You do understand this, right? Right. I guess I was hoping that there is there's some way that because what he's told me is that he wants to be at home because he he's left the house before, and he'll he for like a weekend for a week and then he'll come back and you know he doesn't want to spend money on hotels he doesn't stay with this woman he'll stay at a hotel he wants to be home and he'll say you know but he has because he works with this woman he wants to figure out how. I guess to end it gently, I think is what he's thinking in his mind. I don't know how that's possible. I right. pray about it. So what um, do you want to have happen? And if, if you could wave your magic wand and it'd be exactly like you want it to be, what would it be? For her to get a new job. <laughs> okay. All right. For her to and, that, and that would be wonderful. I wish <laughs> you would. But it seems like probably neither you nor your husband have any control over that. So let me uh, – and, and so I'll, I'll, I'll make the question a better question. I, did, I didn't ask it well. Okay. Based on what okay. you – either you or your husband can control, if you mm-hmm. had the magic wand away the magic wand, what would you want it to be? I would like for him to clearly end it with this person mm-hmm. and for him to um, to provide some sort of – uh, evidence that it is really over with her and right. that he is going to make, make, uh, you know, uh, changes around his day so that he avoids working with her or that he, okay. Um, Would he be willing to do that? I think he, I think he, he doesn't, he has this thing about privacy, which I find crazy given the situation, you know, right, he, but, he so, likes so he, back to the question. Would he do it? If you ask for that, would he do it? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. He says okay. that he, he's asking for me to be patient. And see, the thing is, I'm very anxious. Every time yeah. he leaves the house with his phone, I'm anxious. Right. And I'm crazy. So, so his asking you to be patient really isn't a very fair request, is it? No. Okay. Have you by no. any chance listened to the radio program we did, the online radio program we did, called The Definitive Guide to Boundaries? Have you heard that one by any chance? I did, and I I tried to make our physical relationship our boundary, basically because I was starting to feel used. 
Um, and that, I think that kind of brought him back. I, well, he, he was angry. He felt like I was manipulating right. him. Right. People always feel angry um, about boundaries when they, it stops them from doing what they want to do. But I, I think the real question really comes down to what are you willing to accept and what are you not willing to accept? If you're willing to accept him, you know, having total privacy in the sense that you don't know where he, uh, where he's, if he's in contact with it or not, if you're willing to accept mm-hmm. that, then that's one thing. But if you can't, if you say, no, this is eating me alive, I can't do this, then it's really mm-hmm. up to you. I mean, you're the only one who can make a decision as to whether you can or can't do that. I can't make that decision for you, obviously. But if you made such a decision like, no, I can't do that, that's when you sit down and you write down the absolutes. Now, let me make sure I explain what that means. Not your wishes, but what you absolutely have to have. For example, we tend to ask for the world when maybe we just need to ask for the county. And so you you sit down and say, okay, what is it that I need that would give Mm -hmm. me peace? And then you keep honing that down until you say, well, no, actually, I can make that a little smaller. No, I can make that a little smaller. But when you get to the core, when you get down to the core issue where you say, that's it, I can't, mm-hmm. I can't give any more than that, that's when you write mm-hmm. the boundary. That's when you write the boundary and say, or even the criteria, understand a boundary is this is what can't happen. A criteria is this is what must happen. But when you get down to the core, whatever the core is, that's when when you write it out definitively and that's when you sit down with him and say, this is what I have to have. And, and this isn't not a negotiable thing because I've, I've honed it down to as little as I can possibly ask to give me peace of mind. And what I'm asking of you is, will you do this for me? And if he says no, then you're going to have to decide, okay, if he says, no, I'm not going to do that for you. Then you've got to decide, Wow. If that's if he's not going to meet my core issue, am I going to accept that or not mm-hmm. accept that? And that's a tough decision, but it's and only you can make it. Nobody else can make it for you. But ultimately, ultimately, it really comes down to what you will accept and won't accept. And therefore, by setting that definitive boundary or criteria, criteria being this is what you got to do, and then and then living by that. So either you don't do that and continue to feel the misery you're feeling now, or you do that Mm -hmm. with the risk that it may make it a lot better. It may make it worse. And, and you have to evaluate and decide whether it's worth that risk to you. Right. Uh, Cause he's, he's saying to me, you know, give me some time. He said to me, not months, you know, but he just want, wanted time to kind of, he said, because I've told him that, you know, he's in a dark place. I'm trying to describe limerence to him. Um, mm-hmm. And I said, you know, it's it's something I under, and I tell him, you know, I understand this is something you're going through, but, you know, and, mm-hmm. and he'll agree. He'll say, yeah, it's kind of like being on a drug or something like that. Yeah, it is very like, much. It's like a virus. Very right? much. Right? Like he's like, it has to. Right. Right. But it, he, so it really comes to back to you. Time, like, it really comes back to you. What are you going to do? That's, you know, it's really, it, the ball is really in your, in your court. Either you say, okay, that's fine. I'm going to just ride this out or, and if you can fine, if that's what you want to do, then do it that way. Or no, there's certain things I'm just going to have to have. And that's the decision you've got to make. Right. 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 Okay. All right. I trust um, you can and- make a good decision, young lady. Okay. You have a good evening. Right. All right. Okay, and we're going from, let's see, that was in Virginia, and so let's, well, let's head over to Kansas for a minute. 
Oh, Kansas area code 316. You're on the Joe Beam Show. Hi, Joe. How are you doing? Rocking and bopping. How are you? Um, I'm doing okay. Thank you. Good. Can I get a first uh, name to call you? you? Yeah, Nikki. Nikki? Okay. Nikki. Nikki? You know I'm deaf. Yeah. You have to scream at me. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's okay. okay. <laughs> how can I help you tonight, Nikki? Um, I was curious how um, – two things, actually. How addiction and depression affect limerence because mm-hmm. I feel like I'm dealing with both. Uh, well, <laughs> that's a tough question. Well, here we, here we go. Limerence, in essence, is a kind of addiction. Because yeah, what happens with those, those brain chemicals, that, that dopamine, ecstasy, and all that kind of stuff, I mean, it's, it's like a powerful, powerful drug. As a matter of fact, they've, they've done some research into this, according, again, I'm citing Helen Fisher, PhD, that the, the brain receptors and the way the brain reacts to dopamine um, is similar to the way it reacts to cocaine. So, so it's, it's very much like an addiction. Now, does he have an addictive personality otherwise? I mean, has he like been addicted to yeah. food or addicted to alcohol, addicted to what's he been addicted to before? Um, well, he, okay, definitely an alcoholic right now. He's mm-hmm. um, uh, smoked a lot of marijuana in the past. I don't know that he was necessarily ever super addicted to it, but it's just that he wants to do it. He's done, he's been on meth. He's done Coke. He's done a mm-hmm. lot of stuff when he was younger. And, um, but he does have addictive personality. He does everything in excess. Okay. Everything. All right. Uh, you know, <laughs> well, you sound like a very bright person. You already know that exacerbates this whole thing to the nth degree because, because part of what's happening here is the fact that, that the ecstasy side of limerence is similar to all those things you've mentioned so far. And so having, having a pattern where he's gone from that kind of thing to that kind of thing to that kind of thing, uh, mm-hmm. my guess, and again, we're, we're about to get out of my area of expertise here, and I don't want to sound like yeah. I know things I don't know, okay? But I'm guessing, uh, and, and I think my guess is going to be right, that the only thing that's really going to help him is going to be some kind of uh, 12-step group. Now, I don't yeah. know of a 12-step group for limerence, so I'm not meaning that. But, I mean, a 12-step group that can help him deal with the very concept of being controlled by other things, being controlled by these, these ecstasies. In a, in a mm-hmm. sense, addiction is a way to keep from hurting. And, mm-hmm. when, and when you add to that the people who really like being high. Now, for example, I am a recovering alcoholic, okay? When, when I was doing my heaviest drinking, it really was to keep from hurting, but, but I really, really like being high. I mean, really like being high. And, and so therefore my addiction wasn't just alcohol. Most people who are alcoholics also get into other things as well. And I really did. I didn't do much of the illicit drugs. I did some marijuana back in the day, but mostly I would get my hands on legal drugs and, and use those, but it gave me the high that I wanted. And a 12-step program like Alcoholics Anonymous, which I think is very, very good, is a program that can help people deal with that concept of, you know, why am I doing this? The 12 steps actually help a person if they have a good sponsor and work through the 12 steps. It helps you think, learn a lot about yourself and why you do what you do. As far as you know, has he been in any 12-step program so far? Um, he has been to them in the past. 
um, he's in the past, he's always been able to quit things pretty easily. And so yeah. I think that's why he thinks he doesn't have a problem, but he's also mixing yeah. it with, I know he has depression right now too, cause he's, he's been suicidal. So he's just got like mm. this crazy mixture of things going on. And I think he's treating it with the limerence instead of doing yeah. the right thing, like going to counseling or right. 12 steps, you know, I'm, I'm sure you're right. I'm sure you're right. And limerence itself can cause depression. I mean, when, when you're in the relationship mm-hmm. with the other person and the other person acts like they're happy with you, you have that ecstasy. But mm-hmm. when you have any fear that you might not wind up with that other person or if that person in any way shows any displeasure with you, you go into the depths, I mean, down to the bottom. And so it's not uncommon at all for limerence to also be depressed, except in the middle stages. In the middle stages when they're just happy as a lark, they tend not to be. But if there's any kind of I don't know if you've been hearing the whole program or not, but when there's any kind of cognitive dissonance, any kind of like, I know I shouldn't be yeah. doing this, the depression nearly mm-hmm. almost always happens. Do, has he ever, as far as you know, taken any depression medicines? He's supposed to be on something right now, um, you know but he's very, he was, uh, he was on something first that he said made him have a bad reaction, but then they switched him to Zoloft, which is, is supposed to be good for that. Um, but I don't know that he really takes it. I think he does like, he'll do it for a week and then decides he feels better. So then he stops, you know, like mm-hmm. anybody with depression, not anybody, but a lot of people. I got you. What kind of doc re, um, prescribed that medicine? Do you know? Um, our, our family doctor prescribed it, but our, um, counselor recommended it and Good. he goes to her occasionally. He'll go to her like one session or two sessions, decide he's better and then stop for a month. Uh, and then uh, he'll repeat. <laughs> that's that's pretty common for for an addict. And and yeah. did I did I hear you say Zoloft is what's been prescribed? Is that what you said? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You see, uh, counselors, as you know, can't prescribe medicine, obviously. And yeah. but Zoloft has been shown to have some efficacy in the situations we're describing. So probably that was a good idea. And if your doc mm-hmm. thought, okay, that that's not count, counterindicated by anything else that we're doing, you know, Mm -hmm. in other words, apparently Zoloft would be a good drug, but what I heard you say is you don't think he's taking it regularly. I can't be sure. He, he lies a lot about that stuff. So, um, his mother says that she doesn't think he's taking it, but my guess is he's not either. Addicts are great liars. Have you figured that out yet? Um, yeah, well, what's (laughs) funny is, um, our entire marriage, he actually didn't seem to have a lot of addiction problem at all. And I could always tell when he was lying, but it's like his brain just snapped. And then now he's lying all the time and I have no idea. I can't yeah. tell. <laughs> yeah. When I went into my addictive phase, I was in my middle thirties when I went into my addictive phase mm-hmm. and I became yep, a really, him. I became a really, really good liar. I, mm-hmm. I hope, I hope that he does take this all off. I think that can help. It can definitely help the depression. And mm-hmm. I hope that, well, my suggestion and, and certainly, if he would go regularly to his counselor, it sounds like, is it a female or a male counselor? It's a female. Um, and she's good? And you, you feel good about her? I, I do feel good about her. I think he has problems with her sometimes because he can't manipulate her. Um, good for but, him. Good for her. <laughs> good yeah. for her. She, yeah. So I think that's why he stops going sometimes. But I, that's the one uh, thing I've been really hands off with him. And the only yeah. thing um, I stand up for is his health. And he's really not taking care of himself. So that's the only thing uh-huh. I say, you have to go to the doctor and you have to go to the counselor. Like, yeah. and that's, and ever, ever, 
other than that, I keep my hands off. Yeah, so. I understand. Well, sounds like you got a good counselor there. Have you, by any chance, listened to our, our uh, online program called The Divinity Guide to Boundaries and Criteria? Um, I have. I haven't listened to it in a while, though. Maybe I need to go back to it. I would recommend that. Go back. It's, it's just called The Divinity Guide to Boundaries. You can find it on iTunes. Mm-hmm. Subscribe free to Marriage Radio with Joe Beam. You can find it there. You probably can also find it on Blog Talk Radio, but I know it's on iTunes mm-hmm. and um the definitive of marriage, marriage radio with Joe Beam, subscribe free, and the definitive guide to boundaries. I suggest you listen to it again because boundaries and criteria are pretty crucial when you're dealing with addicts. Mm-hmm. But would it matter if because he's not at home with me? Well, it gives you less ability, obviously. If he's living someplace else, yeah. doing other things, it'll, it's much, much more difficult to set boundaries and criteria. It, listen to the program one more time and, and you know, okay. assess it based on your situation where you are. I surely hope okay. that he gets the help that he needs. I'll tell you what, I'm impressed with you, young lady. He doesn't know how blessed he is to have you in his life uh, caring yeah. about him. Yeah, you got that right. He owes me a lot. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> yes, he does. I admire your strength. I really do. Okay, well, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Okay, may God be with you. All righty. Okay, and that was in, let's see, that was Kansas. We'll take one more call. Let's go to California for the next call over here. Hello, area code 760 in California. You're on the Joe Beam Show. Hey, Joe. This is Dave. Howdy. Dave? How you doing? Yeah, I'm Dave. Rocking, I'm rocking and bopping, Dave. How are you? Uh, I'm okay. Hanging in there. You sound pretty um, miserable. Yeah, pretty much. Um, it's been a heck of a year and a half for me. Uh, me and my wife separated in January of 2015. Um, she just says I checked out on her, and I we just became disconnected. And then now she's in a battle for her life um, with cancer. And oh. She lives with another man. He's 23 years mm. older than her. Um, wow. I... I she comes and goes out of my life. I don't, I don't know what to do. I mean, I always read your articles, and I always think, and I always want to talk to you. And, mm-hmm. and I'm just, I'm just lost, you know. Oh, my heart breaks for you, my friend. How, how bad is the cancer, my friend? Um, it's, um, the stage four. Um, but this doctor that she's seeing now thinks that uh, it's a germ cell cancer. At first, they thought it was esophageal. She's at um, Cancer Centers of America in Arizona. Um, she she filed for divorce and all that, and now she has to stop the divorce because she needs the medical that I provide for her. Um, but uh, she just she felt that she don't love like I love her, um, but she has some kind of feelings for this other guy. You know, she slept with this other guy, says he's just a roommate or something. I don't know what I'm talking about. You know. Um, she won't admit that he's her boyfriend and just, just the people around us just accept it, you know, now, especially now because she's going through her, her issues. And now she tells me to put my differences aside and to be there at the hospital, you know, she feels I deserve to be there, but she wants me to put my differences aside and be in the same room with this other man. And I can't do that. I can't put myself in that situation, Joe. Well, I don't blame you. I mean, I, there's just certain things you can't do. You obviously love this woman a lot, don't you? Yes, I do. 
been with her yeah. for 17 years. Wow. Oh, my heart breaks for you, young man. My heart breaks for you. You know, God, God has uh, truly blessed me with a position at work. Um, that's the only time that I don't think about this. Um, mm-hmm. I I have my I live in the house that she grew up in. She left this house. Um, I have my son that he's he he's with her right now for a week while she's home. Uh, well, at her new place where she lives with this other man. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, until she goes back to Arizona to get her, she's going back for more chemo. And mm-hmm. I, I really do. Um, it's, it's, I'm having a hard time letting go and, and I, I've messed up in so many ways because I just, I've done probably all the things I shouldn't have done and just push and, and she just says, why am I so stuck on this person? Well, I mean, you're, I, I'm a Christian man. I go to church. I, I joined the men's Bible study. And that's been good for me as well. But I, I mean, how, how do I not, you know, like be stuck on this person? How do I, how do I, how do I know when I? Because I feel like I'm setting myself up for vulnerability to be her friend when I don't want to be. I, I know what you say we have to be that safe place, but how do I do that and and not fall for something, you know? I yeah. guess it's the fear of um, hardening my heart in a little bit, or, or guarding my heart, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I well, my heart breaks for you. It, it, and if you said this, I missed it. But what's the prognosis on her cancer? What are they expecting to happen? Um, well, the, the, the recent one is um, this doctor believes he can uh, with the first. They're going to give her the Lance Armstrong treatment. Um, so some type of chemo is going to hit her really hard with it. This time she's going to lose her hair. The first style of chemo that they gave her, it was for esophageal because they had to stop it and let it clear out of her system. But he thinks that he can clear up the liver with his first dose of chemo. Um, but he believes he can beat it. Um, she has a, a whole team out there in Arizona. Um, uh, I guess it's a good facility. I haven't, I haven't went and, and it's just, it's broken my heart because I can't be there, but yet she wants this person there, and she says he deserves to be there. Okay, this man's been in her life a year and a half. What yeah. happened to our 17 years, you know? She says, I broke her. She tells me, I broke her. I, I, we just became yeah. complacent, and I mean, I really wish I tried at one time, talked, tried to get her to go to your one of your workshops, but mm-hmm. it's it's to no avail. It's just pushback, you know? Um, I, she says, I don't let her see change. But I don't see how you see change with when you're living with somebody else, you know. She'll say good things here, you know, or play a lot of mind right. games. And, yeah, so and here's what I'm hearing you saying, my friend. What I'm hearing you say is this, that you really have no control over this, that the things that she's asking you to do, you can't do. And and I, I, yeah. hear, I hear that's breaking your heart. I really am. So what what can I help you with? I don't know what to do, Joe. <laughs> I mean, yeah. some guidance. Um, what? Well, h- how unless you set, how do you set boundaries? I've never been good at that. I, I... Yeah. Well, if she's not living with you, she's living with the other guy already, and mm-hmm. obviously she's in a, in a in a as you said a struggle for her life. I don't I don't know that there's any way you could set a boundary in the situation you're describing now. I don't know how you could. And no, it's hard. Oh, I have no doubt that it's hard, my friend, and 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 that breaks my heart for you. It really does. I'm so sorry, but in the situation you're describing, unless you choose 
unless you choose just to go spend time with her in spite of the fact that it's breaking your heart. Uh, if you decide to do that and can do it and it doesn't break your heart, then I think it's a wonderful thing to do. If you can't because it just rips you apart too badly, then you can't. But I, I don't know how I or anybody else can say, wow, Dave, you really need to do this or do that. Either you can go spend time with her in this situation or you can't. And what you're telling me is you can't. And I, I don't can, know. Any so way. I, I got you. I, you know, understand. I told this man to his, I told this man to his face. I went to his home this before I knew anything was like really go, going on. And I told the man, I, I want you to help me save my marriage. You know, like basically just because my counselor, I was going to a Christian counselor and she's the one who's like, advised me to really go see this person to, because he's only hearing one side of the story, but, and she says, yeah. I have no right to be upset with this man, but I do. I told the man to the face what my intentions were, but yet he continued to pursue my wife. And yeah. he doesn't, he doesn't care. Yeah. And, you know, right. and I, I, I hate to say it, maybe money has to do something to do with it because he's, he's wealthy right. and he has owns a few companies. And, and Well, Dave, I, I hear your, I, I hear your heart. I hear your pain. And, and based on what you're saying, it seems like there's only one solution to this. And that says, that is that you're going to hurt, but you're going to avoid her. And, and that's what I'm hearing you say pretty loud and clear, right? Yeah, like we text, you know, I, I still, because okay. I have a heart, you know, I, I, right. I check on I her to make sure she's okay. Right. And I don't know what to do. I mean, I, I think I can stop and then I don't, I can't, you know, I'll go. Right. Like I haven't talked to her since Saturday, you know, and it's yeah. just, it's, always a battle okay well yeah i don't i don't know how i can help you my friend i am so sorry my heart breaks for you all right joe all right you take care of yourself Um, god be with you okay i'm so sorry i really am thanks Uh, the man's the man's got a story that is heartbreaking but i wouldn't know how to help him to do that if if he can't be with her without it breaking his heart and in the situation that she's in i don't think anything's going to change over there right now May God be with him. May God be with us all. As a matter of fact, thank you for being on this program. We shall see you, Lord willing. (laughs) I hope that doesn't offend you if you're not a Christian. It's the way I talk. Next Tuesday evening, beginning at 9 o'clock Central Time.